Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see everybody here today. Uh, just wanted to recognize, uh, it's good to see all of your smiling faces. Everybody, I think everyone I talked to this morning was smiling. I didn't see a single frown. That's what we like to see. And I just want to say it's good to see CJ in the house today. I like it when there's a lot. Yeah. It's been a while. But I tell you, I like when we have more tall people around because then I don't feel like such a big weirdo, right? I'm still a weirdo. I just don't feel so big anymore. But anyway, I'm, I'm happy to see him here today. And for the rest of you, I'm happy to see you as well. Um, I got to tell you, I got to brag on this praise team. They did a great job this morning. I was standing there at the back. And as they were leading us into worship, I was just singing and, and praising along with them. And I had to remind myself, hey, you better save some of that voice. You have to speak later. <laughs> so I had to calm myself down a little bit. But I will tell you, I appreciate the, all the hard work they put into preparing so that they can lead us. Uh, they do a fantastic job. And what about Miss Carolyn's special song this morning? That was great. Amen. It's great to see how talented uh, our congregation is and people using those gifts and those talents to glorify God. Uh, but today we're going to be uh, looking at, a, a, or our pastor was actually talking to me yesterday and he said, have you come up with a title for your sermon yet? And I said, well, not really. I know what I'm talking about, but I just don't know how I want to sum it up. Uh, and I finally landed on this idea of measuring up. Um, measuring up is something that we all have to do from time to time. We have to take stock. We have to see where we are. And uh, you, have to, you have to look at the hard data sometimes. And no one really likes to fall short. Some of us, we don't like going to the doctor because we know what's going to be the first thing they do. They're going to put us on that scale. And we're going to have to see whether or not that number went up or down. You know, And, and we prefer to, I would just rather not know, right? Uh, some of us, it's the same way with our bank balance. It's like, man, I don't want to check my bank balance because that'll be depressing when I see how few dollars are in there. And so sometimes we think that, you know, if I can just pretend that none of this exists, if I can just, uh, you know, kind of keep my uh, keep a little keep my blinders up, then I won't be so disappointed because no one likes to fall short. Um, but here's the thing. Even though there's this saying that ignorance is bliss, we know that that's not really true. Uh, when I was in college, you know, there was a, a movie that had come out and everybody was watching it all the time. It was uh, called The Matrix. And anybody who's ever seen it knows that they were living in a computer-generated world. And uh, once they found out that they were in that computer-generated world, there was one of the fellows, he said, I would rather just go back to before I knew that this was all fake. He said, because this, ta th this steak that I'm eating, I know it's not real, but it feels real. And so I would just rather have that ignorance. I'd rather not know. But let me tell you something, ignorance never really works out all that well. We can say, well, I'd rather not open that bill because I, don't, I just don't want to look and see how much I owe the water company this month. Or we can say, I don't want to check my bank balance or I don't want to stand on the bathroom scale. But if we don't do those things from time to time, if we don't take stock, it's not going to play out too well for us. So every now and then we have to break out the tape measure or break out the, the, the scale and we have to measure up. Because really, here's the thing, as a Christian, ignorance is not really an option. God doesn't say, you know, just stumble through life, but He gives us some commands. He gives us some things that we're supposed to do, and so then we have to make sure that we're doing what He's called us to do. 
All right, so he gives us a command, and he says this several times in the book of Leviticus where he's talking to the Israelites, and he's saying, uh, here's what I expect of you. He gives them this command. He says, you need to be holy because I am holy. All right, and, and you know, that's, that's a hard statement. We say, well, we look in the mirror and we say, that is not a holy person. And so we, we get disappointed sometimes. But, and, and we think, well, thank goodness I don't live under the Old Testament where I had to live under all those rules and all those regulations. I don't have to be holy like they had to be holy. But let me tell you something. Uh, Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 1, he picks up that same command, and here's what he says in chapter 1, verse 15 and 16. He says, But now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the Scripture says, You must be holy, because I am holy. So we see that this is a command not only for the Israelites in the Old Testament, but it's something that we have to do today. And some of you are probably feeling a little beat down already. You think, oh great, here we are. He's talking about scales and bank balances. He's talking about having to be holy. Uh, and you're, you're feeling overwhelmed and you feel like, well, this is impossible. I can't live up to that standard. But I want to talk to you for just a few minutes. Listen, Planet Fitness is not the only judgment-free zone. This is one as well. I'm not going to judge you because, because you don't necessarily meet that standard of holiness all the time. But I'm going to tell you something. It is possible possible to live a holy lifestyle and we're going to be talking about that a little bit today but let me ask you this question I want you to really think about it for just a second would God require something of you if you couldn't do it would he tell you to be holy if it was impossible why would he set us up for failure Many of us are parents in this room, and, and we think about, you know, when our children are little, we don't expect them to, to live and to operate and to have all the skills of an adult, right? We don't go to our toddler and tell them to cook, cook the family dinner for the evening, right? We don't go to our eight-year-old and say, hey, listen, I need you to file our family's taxes this year. We don't expect those things of children because we know that that's not where they're at. But at the same time, that doesn't mean we have no expectations for them, and it's the same with God. Logically, if God expects us to be holy, then there must be some way for us to do it. But here's the problem. Some of us, we decide, I can't be holy. That's an impossible standard. I can't reach it. And what happens instead is we settle for good enough Christianity. We say, well, I'm not as bad as I used to be. I'm, I'm doing better than I used to be. Or we'll look at someone else and we'll say, well, at least I'm not as bad as that joker. I don't, I don't do some of those things that he does. And so we'll get ourselves into this place of complacency where we're saying, listen, uh, you know, I, I'm doing pretty good. You know, I might not be in church every week, but I go every now and then. Or we might say, you know, I, I don't, you know, fully give the full tithe, but I put a little money in the offering plate every now and then. Or we say, you know, I, I, I might not, uh, I might not go out and harm people but I don't mind talking about them a little bit behind their back you know and so we get to this place where we allow ourselves to fall short we give ourselves license to not live up to the standard that God has required for us but here's what happens when we get into that place where we say I'm doing good enough we get stuck in a, in, a, uh, in a place where we have ups and downs. We're never really living into the victory that God wants us to have for us. Uh, Martin Wells Knapp called it this. He said he called it the ups and downs. He said, today you're victorious and tomorrow you're defeated. Does that sound familiar to any of you? It does to me. That's been my experience as well. And yet sometimes we need to commit ourselves to this standard of holiness so that we don't fall short. And when we measure up, um, then, then we'll be where we need to be. So 
Today we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 13, if you've got your Bibles and you want to turn with us. And I'm going to be reading out of the New Living today. Um, but I'm going to read this passage, and you're going to say, this is a, a little bit of a strange passage to turn to, but I want to point out a couple different things here. So this is Hebrews chapter 13, we're going to start with verses 10 through 16, and I'm going to point out a couple things here, and I believe Jared's got it for the screens. Starting with verse 10, it says, We have an altar from which the priests in the tabernacle have no right to eat. Under the old system, the high priest brought the blood of the animals into the holy place as a sacrifice for sin, and the bodies of the animals were burned outside the camp. So also Jesus suffered and died outside the city gates to make his people holy by means of his own blood. So let us go out to him outside the camp and bear the disgrace that he bore. For this world is not our permanent home, and we are looking forward to a home yet to come. Therefore, let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming our allegiance to his name, and don't forget to do good and share with those in need. These are the sacrifices that please God. So, I want to point out a couple things there. Number one, it says we have an altar. And what is that altar? Jesus is that altar. And when anything touches that altar, it's holy. Second, it says, Jesus suffered and died. Why? To make his people holy by means of his blood. So right there we see that Jesus wouldn't have done it if it wasn't possible. He would not have sacrificed himself if it wasn't possible for us to live up to the standard of holiness to which we're called. So we have to learn to, to understand that this is something that we can have and we can have today. And then finally, I wanted to point out, it says that we need to offer ourselves, as this is verse 15, it says, a continual sacrifice. So we're going to develop those ideas a little bit as we talk today. But um, I hope you understand that what I'm trying to say is that I don't want you to beat yourself up. We're going to try to get away from that, 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 uh, that idea of guilt and I I've, I've fall short. You know what? That's the old life. That's the old us. We're living in a new reality. We have a new heart. We have a, a, the Holy Spirit helping us. So holiness is possible today. So let's uh, look at a couple different things. One of the first things that we need to understand about holiness is that it's not necessarily that unattainable standard. See, there are four steps to a Christian life. All right, it, 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 And all of us throughout our life are going to go through these four steps. This is what our church teaches. Number one is salvation. Number two is sanctification. Number three is spirit baptism. And finally, we get to glorification. Now, let me talk to you a little bit about each of these steps. And when you understand it from a proper perspective, you will see how it's possible to live a life that can be called holy. In each of these four steps, there's something that's taken away from us. And then there's a gift that's given to us. So in salvation, what's taken away? It's our guilt, right? God takes away our guilt for our sin. He takes away that, 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 that justification, that, that, or he, he gives us justification. He takes away that guilt in the eyes of the law, removes that from us, gives us the gift of pardon and new life. And so God, in salvation, when we commit ourselves to live for Christ, when we say, no longer am I going to live for myself, I'm going to live, and Jesus, you're going to be the Lord of my life. When we do that, God takes away our, gift, our, our guilt, and he gives us the gift of pardon. The second step is, second step is sanctification. 
And in sanctification, what happens, this is a second thing that happens. And sometimes it happens at the same time as when you get saved. Other times it happens down the road. But there is a second step called sanctification where God takes away and breaks the power of sin in your life and He gives you the gift of purity. All right. The third step is spirit baptism. He takes away our reliance on self and He gives us a gift of power to be able to live and to, and to, to move and to manifest the, the things of God in our life. And finally, glorification. This is something that we're all looking forward to someday, but someday God's going to take away our earthly broken body and give us an eternal one. And so if you want to sum this up in four P's, you could say we get pardon, purity, we get power, and then the last one we'll, we'll say perpetuity. But, but but anyway, it's, uh, these are four steps that we go through in our life. God walks us through all of those. Now listen, as Pentecostals, we get really excited about step number three. We get really excited about being baptized in the Spirit. Why? Because it's something you can see, you can lay your hands on, you can say, man, I was there. Did you, did you feel the Spirit move? Did you see what happened? Did you see so-and-so speaking in tongues? Did you see so-and-so crying and laid out on the floor? Those are the things that we get excited about. And so sometimes we want to jump straight to the fullness. But when that happens, what we do is we're skipping right over the step in between, which is purity. Purity is what allows us to have that power. It's a prerequisite for it. So we have to be careful and make sure that we're not skipping right over the holiness just so that we can get to the fun stuff that, that we can talk about that, that's exciting, right? When you talk about holiness, that's not necessarily something people get really excited about, yet it's something that should be present in the life of every believer. Now, some of us, when we talk about this idea of holiness, we don't like it because we feel like, you know, we're, we're going to be called a hypocrite if we try to say, well, I, I'm, I'm holy. I'm living a holy life. I mean, that, that's one of the major criticisms of the church today. They'll say, you know, I like your Christ. I don't like your Christians so much because I see a whole lot of Christians doing a lot of things that don't really line up with what Scripture says. And so, you know, what they don't understand is that we're in process. We're, we're uh, working our way towards that. We're being made more and more like Christ. But when we say that we're a holy people... We're not saying that we've got it all together. We're not saying that we've got it all figured out. You know, we're not claiming to be perfect. Holiness is not something that we possess so much as it is something that possesses us. God is holiness, and He bought us, and He makes it possible for us to live a life where we're no longer held by sin and at sin's whims. We're no longer out of control. We have an ability to say no to those things that, that has no power over you that's been broken by the blood of Christ. We get to a place where we can say, I'm a holy person. I, I, I am a, a saint, right? And it's not a, a hypocritical statement. It's just an assurance that you know that you know that you know that all of your sin, all of your guilt has been taken away from you and you no longer bear that anymore. That gives you a source of joy. That gives you a, a, a source of excitement, a, 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 the possibility to say, God, I, I'm going to live for you and it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. I'm going to be a holy person. It doesn't mean I'm going to be perfect. doesn't mean I'm going to get it all right, but I am holy. And we have to not be afraid of that label. Don't be afraid that people are going to go out there and say, well, just because you say you're living a holy life, then that means you're holier than me, right? That's why people get offended 
because there's this that they think that we're being judgmental of them but that's not what we're saying we're not saying that at all we're just saying that i'm living a life that is under uh, it's underneath christ uh, it's covered in christ's blood it's underneath god's law well i'm no longer guilty of sin i'm walking in freedom so how can a Christian be said, or can, how can a Christian be said to be holy if we're not perfect? Well, what is holiness? If you are holy, if you are sanctified, it doesn't mean that you won't still make mistakes. We will always be ignorant, no matter what happens in our life. Now, don't get offended by that. When I say we're always ignorant, what is ignorance? It's a lack of knowledge. I can't know everything about everything all the time, right? You know, they, they say that in higher education, especially if you pursue a master's and then a doctorate, they say you know more and more about less and less until eventually you know everything about nothing, right? It's this idea that, that you, have, you, you have narrowed your field of focus, you've become an expert in this one area, you know everything about that one subject. But I wouldn't go to someone who uh, is, is a neurosurgeon and ask them, you know, to, to help me diagnose my car. You know, now that they might know something about that, but that's not their field of specialty. And here's the same thing. We are always going to be ignorant. There's always going to be something that we don't know. Maybe information that we don't have. Maybe we don't have the whole story. How many of you have had somebody come to you and they tell you about something that happened, but what you don't realize is that, well, you're getting their perspective on what happened. And every story has two sides to it, right? So sometimes we might make a judgment because we think we have the full picture when it turns out that we haven't. You know, um, this especially happens with news stories. You know, as quickly as they come out, people will all the time think, well, I watched the news. I know what happened. But what you don't understand is you, you know what they said happened. You might not know what actually happened. And so there is never a time when even a holy, sanctified person will be free from ignorance. It's just part of being human. It's part of being you can't know everything. The second thing is, is you won't, it doesn't mean that you won't still make some unintentional mistakes, right? But here's the thing there, unintentional, right? You didn't mean to be hurtful. You didn't mean to cross the line. You didn't mean to do something that was counter to what God said. And then guess what happens? We have brothers and sisters in Christ who might come to us and they point out, say, hey, listen, do you realize that this isn't necessarily, it doesn't go along with what Scripture teaches that we're supposed to do. And so it's a place where, you know, you have an opportunity then to repent of that and say, God, I, I didn't mean to mess up like that. And so you know my heart. That's not where I was. So what we have to understand is that sanctification is not an achievement that you unlock. Some of us uh, grew up here, uh, we play video games, right? And, and uh, you know, one of the things that's fun to do is you can unlock achievements. Um, you know, um, whenever I talk to my son, he'll tell me, you know, whatever game he's playing, and he'll tell me, well, I've unlocked all the special skins because I've gotten all the achievements in this video game. You know, but, but life isn't like that. We're not trying to unlock an achievement, right? It, rather, we're trying to learn how to walk. See, sanctification is not an achievement that you receive. It's not a reward from God. It's not a, well, I have arrived moment. What it is, is it's a state of grace. See, the Spirit has broken the power of sin in your life, and you are now free to live a godly life. And so before we go any further, I want to make a couple quick statements about uh, the nature of temptation and sin. 
See, just like there are four steps in a Christian life where we go from salvation to sanctification to, to spirit baptism and then glorification, just like there are steps there, there are also steps when it comes to sin. And there's a moment where, and there are steps when it comes to temptation, and there are moments that lead up to that moment of sin. And unless you cross that line, you can't be said to have sinned. So let me give you a, an, an example here. Um, First, we become aware of something that is out of, uh, it's out of bounds or it's, it's off limits to us. All right, and so we're just going to use an example of uh, Krispy Kreme donuts in the break room, right? I'm throwing this one in there for my pop. We know how he likes his Krispy Kreme donuts, right? So when you're, when you're sitting in your office or you're at work and you don't even know the donuts are in there, you're not tempted by them, Right? But then what happens? Someone walks down the hall and they stick their head in and they say, hey, it's so-and-so's birthday. There's donuts in the break room. And all of a sudden, now you're aware, right? You're aware that just down the hall, there's some warm, gooey, sweet, sugary goodness. And it's there and available for you. We become aware of it. Next, it awakens an appetite in us. Your stomach begins to rumble. Your mouth begins to water, right? That's a natural process that happens as your appetite is awoken by your awareness of the donuts in the break room. Then what happens? Then you start thinking about it in your head and you think, oh man, that would be so good. I needed some coffee anyway. And you know, you need a little something sweet to go with your coffee, right? Or you think, man, I get, get some donuts and milk or whatever it is that, that how you like to have your donuts that awakens an appetite or a desire within you. That's all a natural process, right? But where do you fall afoul? It's when you get up and you go down to that break room and you grab a hold of one of those donuts and you eat one when you know you shouldn't. Now, I'm not saying donuts are sinful, but I was using that as an example to show you that there is a process of temptation, and it's the same in any area of our life. And just because you're aware of something that you're tempted by, that's not sinful. Just because your body responds and says, ooh, I want that, that's not sinful. Just because in your mind you're thinking, ooh, that would be so good, that's not sinful. But where we cross the line is when we choose to say, I'm going to pursue this even though I know it's not the best thing for me. Even though I know it's not in line with what God has for my life. So that's where we cross that line. See, we, we choose the created good over the creator. That's where sin falls. Now, donuts, it's easy to talk about temptation when it comes to that. But it's a whole lot harder when you think about things like, you know, gossip or, you know, uh, put, putting your own needs over the needs of others. Those sorts of things. Those are, those are things that take, they're a little more nuanced than a Krispy Kreme donut. Uh, but we have to learn how to awaken our spiritual senses. How do we do that? The Holy Spirit will come and will awaken spiritual senses within you that will allow you to make the right choices at the right time. You say, what do you mean spiritual senses? I don't have spiritual eyes and spiritual fingers and a spiritual tongue, but we talk about it. We talk about it all the time in Scripture. What does it say in the Psalms? It says, taste and see that the Lord is good, right? It's, it's telling you that you can experience God in a way that is sweet and that is good to your spirit. It can say, we will often say, I felt God in that place. Well, you didn't feel him with your hands. What are we talking about? It's a spiritual sense. 
We can say, I can see, you know, God will give you insight and you can say, I can see that this is not just a normal thing, that this is a spiritual attack against this individual or, or against my family. And so God will awaken our spiritual senses to sense a spiritual reality that is around us. As people of God, we learn to do that. And as we do that, as we begin to see things through the spiritual senses, we see them as God sees them, and that allows us to act more like God. And what happens when we act like God? Well, what do we know about God? God is love. And so when we see things as they are, and then we begin to respond out of love, that's how we can be said to be holy. George Watson, George Watson put it like this. He said, pure love controlling the soul can bring the spiritual faculties to their proper and normal function. So how do we live a holy life? We have to live a life marked by love. Love for God, love for others. If those two things are your uh, motivation, if those are the things that, that are driving you, that, that, that guide your decisions, then you can be said to be living a holy life. So holiness, or sanctification then, it can be described as purity of intention. See, when the love of God and love of others is the motivating factor behind what we do, that's when we can rightly be said to be holy. Holiness then becomes not only what we do, it becomes who we are. It becomes an identity. The, this last Sunday, I spoke with the teens, uh, and um, Pastor Matt invited me to talk to them, and, and I asked him, well, what do you want me to talk about? He said, well, uh, we're doing a series, and, and that week we're going to be talking about our online presence. How do we interact with people online? And one of the things I talked to them about was the fact that, you know, when you're online, you can be whatever you want to be. You're anonymous. You can craft whatever identity. You can choose your avatar, and you can choose, do I want little heart eyes, or do I want bunny ears? Or, or, you know, whatever. We can choose what font shows up. And, and we can, you know, back in the day on MySpace, we even got to choose what music popped up as soon as you clicked on your page, right? Um, so you, could, you get to craft an identity online. Well, here's the problem. We create these identities that aren't tied to anything. And that's not a true identity. See, identities have a corresponding duty or obligation that goes along with it. Well, what do you mean uh, uh, by a duty or an obligation? I am a father. I have a son. That's what makes me a father. But what, when I become a father, that means I now have a sense of duty or an obligation to him to raise him. To, to provide for him, to care for him. The same thing if you're a spouse, if you're an employee, if you're a boss, if you're a friend. Each of those identities that we take on in our life has an obligation. Well, what do you mean? I'm not obliged. Well, let me tell you something. If your friend needs some help and he calls you and he says, hey, listen, I'm stuck on the side of the road, and you're like, yeah, I'm not dealing with that. Or if your friend says, I'm moving, and I, I hate to ask you, I hate to impose, but I need some help because i got to be out by Friday, and that's when my lease is up, and you say, yeah, I, I'm too busy for that. You keep turning your friend down for too long, you're going to stop being friends because they've learned that they can't rely on you. They can't count on you. So holiness, then, is, uh, it's, it is an identity, but it comes with an obligation. And a lot of pain arises in our life when people around us don't live up or they don't perform the duties or the obligations that go along with their identity. Think about, you know, you might know somebody who, who doesn't have a good relationship with their parents. And, and, or maybe you don't have a good relationship with your parents. Why did that arise? 
Maybe because you feel like, as a parent, they weren't there for you in the way they needed to be. Or they didn't provide a good enough example. Or they neglected you. The same way, when relationship breaks down in a marriage, what happens there is that, well, you're not doing the things that you vowed that you were going to do, right? And so if we don't perform our duties, if we don't perform our obligations, the identity breaks down. So if we are to be a holy people, what is our obligation? Our obligation is to live as a continual sacrifice, right? That's what this passage was talking about. We have an altar. Who is the altar? Christ. Christ is the altar. If there's an altar, what do you put on the altar? A sacrifice. So if Christ is the altar, what's the sacrifice? It's us. It's me. It's you. Now, here's the thing about a sacrifice. A sacrifice can be presented in a worthy way or an unworthy way. But it involves uh, a, a, a giving up of yourself. It, re- it requires you to give up something. Something that's meaningful. And we'll, get, we'll talk about the worthy and the unworthy a little more. But I just want to uh, point to a couple scriptures. Number one is the verses 15 and 16 of the Hebrews passage that we read. It says, that, what does it say there about sacrifice? It says, therefore, let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming our allegiance to his name. And don't forget to do good and to share with those in need. These are the sacrifices that please God. Um, if the musicians want to come up, we're getting here towards the end and we're wrapping up a little bit. But, but let me point that out. Number one, you are the sacrifice and it also involves you doing certain things, right? It talks about don't forget to do good and to share with those in need. Now, am I saying that, you know, being a child of God, it means that you have to earn that salvation, Or earn that holiness. No, not at all. But when you are that, it's a natural thing that flows out of that. As you experience the love of God, you will be transformed by that love. And you will begin to radiate that love out to others. You know, there's, there's a, a concept with, with radiation, you know, x-rays, that sort of thing. You know, if something is exposed to radiation long enough, it become, becomes irradiated. And it begins to emit energy. It begins to emit light. And so that's why, you know, you can have the, the watch hands that glow in the dark. Why? Because they're radiating something that comes off of them. What is the thing that radiates off of a Christian? It's the love, the love of God. And it's our love as we are transformed and put into His image. Romans 12 also talks about sacrifice. In verse 1 it says this, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all that He's done for you. Let them be a living and a holy sacrifice, the kind He will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship Him. So, how can we be holy? We lay ourselves on the altar. You know, in the Old Testament, and Jesus even points this out in, in, a, in a disagreement with the Pharisees. He talked about how they had this double standard. They would say, well, if I swear by the altar, it's binding. But if I swear by the, or if I swear by the altar, it's not binding. But if I swear by the gift on the altar that it is binding. And he, and he points out, he says, guys, this logically doesn't make sense. What makes the sacrifice holy? It's the fact that it has touched the altar. Once it's touched the altar... 
That's what makes it holy. That's why when they would anoint a priest, what would they do? They would take the blood from the sacrifice and they would, they would sprinkle it on the priest. They would put it on his earlobes and on his hands and on his feet. And I'm glad that when we anoint people today, we just use some Walmart olive oil. We don't use uh, the blood of animals. But the point is, is that, that because that blood touched that altar, it became holy. As we lay ourselves on the altar, we ourselves become holy. There's an old-fashioned old term that they use for this. They call it consecration. What is consecration? Consecration is daily laying ourselves on that altar and saying, God, I'm dead to sin. I'm dead to myself. I'm living only for you. As you do those things, then you can be said to be holy. But I mentioned how a sacrifice can be either worthy or unworthy. And let me give you two examples from Scripture. Number one, we, all the way back in Genesis chapter 4, we see the first unworthy sacrifice. If any of you are familiar, this is the story of Cain and Abel. Where Abel, he gave of, uh, of the, the, the firstborn of his flock. He, he was uh, right in, in the way that he offered his sacrifice to the Lord, but Cain didn't. Now, it doesn't tell us exactly what he did. All it tells us is that he didn't present his sacrifice in a way that was worthy. And listen what happened. God wasn't upset with Cain then. You know, in our minds we think, oh, well, Cain was guilty, he was banished by God, he was judged by God. But that came later, that came after he came to a place where he crossed the line and he went over into sin. At this point, when he submits a worthy sacrifice, all God does is he just tries to point him in the right way. He says, here, listen, you didn't do this right, let me show you a better way. And so here's what he says in chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. God says to Cain, he says, why are you so angry, the Lord asked Cain, why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Because sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. But you must subdue it and be its master. So here we see Cain, because he presented an unworthy sacrifice, because he didn't lay himself out and he didn't give his all to God, what happened? Sin was waiting for him. It was waiting to grab a hold of him. And what happened? It led him to kill his own brother. Now, I'm not saying because we don't uh, submit ourselves to God that we're going to go out and start murdering people. But what I am saying is that when we don't lay ourselves on the altar, when we don't do it in the proper mindset, when we don't commit ourselves to living a holy lifestyle, that opens us up to danger from sin. So that's why we have to be so careful to make sure that we're living a life worthy of the calling that's been given to us. Now, there's a, there is a contrast to that unworthy sacrifice. A little bit further on in Genesis, we see a sacrifice that is accepted. And this is in Genesis chapter 22. This is the famous story where uh, God asks Abraham to, to sacrifice Isaac on the altar. And that was always such a hard story for me. I didn't understand that. How could God ask a father to sacrifice his son? How could he do that? But what mattered was not the sacrifice. God didn't want Isaac to die. He didn't want to kill the promise that he'd given to Abraham. All he wanted to know is that Abraham was willing to lay it all on the altar. Because Abraham was able or willing to lay it all on the altar, God said, now I know. I know you're committed. And here's what he said. He said, listen, you can keep your son and few hundred years later, actually a couple thousand years later, we see that God gave his own son instead. Rather than requiring Isaac to be sacrificed, God provided his own son to be sacrificed on our behalf. 
So listen, the only way to measure up is to lay it all down. If we're going to try to be a holy person, that means we have to lay our all before God. And if the prayer team will begin making their way up here, here's the thing. Why do we call this space here in front of here the altar? It's not a pile of rocks. We certainly don't come up here and sacrifice animals on it. So why is it an altar? It's because this is the area where we come and we meet our God and we can lay ourselves fully at His feet. We can lay our concerns at His feet. We can lay our, our, our broken dreams at His feet. We can lay our, our hurts and our pains and our struggles at His feet. But ultimately, what we need to do is we have to lay our entire self at His feet. Put our entire self on the altar. They talked about the old altars. They would talk about the horns of the altar. And when I was a kid, I always thought that was funny. I thought, you know cattle have horns you know but how does an altar have horns but it had these raised parts and they said if you would go and you'd grab a hold of the horns of the altar that's how you could be in God's presence and sometimes it would talk about I'm going to grab a hold of these horns of the altar and I'm not letting go till I get a blessing and so we need to lay ourselves on this altar. Now, in this room today, there are, there are some people who have never surrendered their life to God. They're still in need of pardon. And if that's you today, then I say, what are you waiting for? Now is the time. Today is the day of salvation. You don't have to wait another minute. You don't have to carry that guilt anymore in your life. You can be free of all that guilt, all that burden, all that shame. Today, here, now, it can end. And you can walk in freedom from here on out for the rest of your life. But there are others of us in this room where we've gotten a little cold and we've settled for that good enough Christianity. I'm never going to be perfect. I'm never going to have it all together. And so then we got comfortable with falling short. We got comfortable with not hitting the mark. And we aren't chasing God to the level that we had been before. For those of us, we need to chase that purity. We need to pursue purity. If we want to see more of God's power in our life, we must strive to be holy and lay our entire selves on the altar. And you say, well, but that's not me. You know, I don't need to repent. But, but here's the thing. Have you surrendered every area of your life to God? You know, maybe, maybe you've surrendered yourself, but you haven't surrendered your finances. Or maybe you've surrendered your finances, but you haven't surrendered that forgiveness, that hurt that you want to hold on to because I can't let that go. And so whatever it is in your life that is keeping you from being holy, we come and lay that at Jesus' feet. Now here's the awesome part. When we say we're striving to be holy, there's nothing you have to do. It's a gift. It's a state of grace. It comes from the Holy Spirit into your life. And He will help you to live up to those standards. He will show you. He will awaken your senses so that you can see the spiritual realities. But to get to that place, you have to lay yourself on the altar every day. So my question is, what do you need to surrender today? As they begin to sing and as the prayer team is available here, if you will all stand with me today. If you are in this house today and you say, I have never made that decision to ask God for pardon, as I said earlier, what are you waiting for? Today is the day of salvation. You can come and you can be made free today. You can say, God, I'm going to surrender my life to you. My life is no longer my own. It belongs to you. And if you do that, you can walk in freedom. Or maybe you have let yourself get comfortable with falling short or maybe you need some more power in your life 
right? Maybe we've been asking God for some miraculous power. We say, God, I want you to heal. I want you to come through and, and, and bring a miracle on my behalf. And yet we haven't committed ourselves to purity. How can we have the power if we don't have the purity? And I'm not trying to say that you got to get it all right. I'm saying you rest. And you can say, I know that I know that I know I'm not perfect, but God, I'm yours. And so if that's you today, if you need something from the Lord, you can come forward and we will pray with you and you can lay it at His feet and then therefore you can live into this identity. We don't have to go around through the rest of our life trying to make our own way and trying to figure out who we are. God's told you who you are. You're His child and you are a holy person. You are consecrated, set apart. All you have to do is lay yourself down. So as they begin to sing, the altar is open. And if you want to come and to lay yourself before the Lord, I pray that you'll join me.